Beautiful. Good morning. morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. They had a big old double nickel. Five, five. Favorite number? 35. Thank you. Um, Someone said, you don't look so old. And then said, no, just kidding. You look like you're about 20. I said, now I know you're lying. Because if you said 35, 38, I would have been, oh, thanks. Uh, Five years ago yesterday, 3-19-2017, we launched Grace Point Church. So today we can celebrate the five-year anniversary of our church, and I completely forgot until yesterday we were doing the serve class, which we had a great day yesterday, uh, loving people uh, who are excited about what God's doing in our church and want to be a part of it, right Clark? Yes! Um, They took that class yesterday, so we had fun finding out different ways as to how we can serve in our church and how God has designed us to serve. Uh, We got a REACH class coming up on uh, the 2nd, Saturday the 2nd of April, and uh, that helps us understand uh, some simple, effective ways that we can share the gospel with people, which is right in time for Easter, which is on the 17th. So one of the great ways that you can share the gospel with people is invite them to church, especially at the time of Easter, because everybody goes to church at Easter. Uh, and then you could talk with them afterwards about, hey, you know, what do you think about the service and what the pastor said and all that kind of stuff. We've got uh, on the third, Baptism Sunday. So we've got six people so far who have uh, met with me. <clears throat> and so if, if you have signed up but have not met with me, we need to get that taken care of. Uh, so make sure you call into the office or shoot me an email so we can chat uh, about that. If you're planning on getting baptized and have not signed up, you need to do that uh, so we can have a, just a sit-down and talk through uh, stuff and what happens on that day. But it's going to be an exciting day. We have like 17 people on our list, <clears throat> so it's, it's awesome. And then we have our Connect class coming up on April 24th, so the week after Easter. Uh, So if you want to find out more about our church, what we're all about, what we believe, why we do what we do, why we look the way we do, all that kind of stuff. Plus, if you're interested in membership, that would be the class that you can take. So a lot of stuff happening. We're like constantly uh, got things happening around here. And it's all really to help us grow closer in our relationship with Jesus Christ and help us then to be more effective in reaching people for Jesus Christ. So I want you to take advantage of all those things as well. Well, we're starting a new series called Road to the Cross. What Jesus says or said and why it matters. So turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in verse 13. At least start there. It's page 976 if you're using the Bible in the, uh, the chairs there. As you do now, let me just ask you a question. If you, uh, if you knew you were going to die soon, what would you want to make sure you told your family and friends? Because that's kind of what's happening here with Jesus Christ. Jesus is taking the first few steps of this long road down to Jerusalem. He's actually in northern Israel at this point, almost to the farthest northern point. And he knows that as soon as he sets his face, as Luke tells us, sets his face towards Jerusalem, determined to get there, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be put on a cross... He's also going to rise again to secure our salvation from sin's earthly power over us, and more importantly, its eternal consequences of judgment and hell. And so the focus of his teaching, and you see this in in the three Gospels, that 
the focus of his teaching changes. He's, he's not so much teaching the crowds anymore. He's focusing in on the disciples. Now, there are times where crowds are hearing this, but he's focusing in on the disciples because he's wanting to get them ready to take over the mission when he does rise to the dead and then ascends to heaven. And it's interesting. We're not going to get into everything he says. We don't have time for that. But it's interesting, as you're reading through and getting ready for Easter, um, you know, as you're reading the Gospels, just look at the topics that he brings up. And then you think about what you would share with your family and friends. It's interesting to note some of the topics that Jesus brings up while he's prepping the disciples to leave. Um, I'm not sure if I would cover those you know, topics, but it's, it's interesting. Maybe next week we'll um, look at some of those, just kind of throw them out there for you. I got so much to cover today that I didn't want to do that. So he, he takes this, this shift in his teaching. So the next few weeks we're going to look at a few of the things that he says as we lead up into Easter and then ask the question, what does it matter to us? Okay, so what he said 2,000 years ago matters, and we want to know why. So the first thing that Jesus, as he's taking this turn to Jerusalem, the first thing he wants to do is make sure his disciples understand who he is, but also what it, what it takes to get into heaven. What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of heaven or be saved or be, uh, know you're going to heaven. So let's jump right into it. Matthew 16, verse 13 says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, again, of the far northern Israel, he was asking his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the other Old Testament prophets. He said to them, but who do you, disciples, this is a plural uh, pronoun, so you disciples, who are here. Which, by the way, always remember, this includes Judas. Okay, so it's always kind of interesting to remember, oh yeah, 12 disciples, Judas is in this crowd, or this group of disciples. But he says, who do you, disciples, say that I am? Simon Peter, of course, the spokesman for the disciples, answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in, in Greek, it's literally, the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. You know, so he's, it's, he's emphasizing all and each and every one of these titles. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood, or in other words, man's teaching, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So God revealed and has this idea of removing the cover. And so he allowed Peter and the other disciples to understand who Jesus is. I also say to you that you are Peter, or Petros, means stone. And upon this rock... Petra, which means foundational <clears throat> bedrock, I will build my church. And the gates, <clears throat> which, excuse me, the gates, which are a defensive structure of Hades, will not overpower it. So in other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to build my church, and I am on the defensive, or on the offensive. I am moving forward. Hell cannot prevent me from taking people who are on the road to hell back with me so they are on the road to heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. This is a key verb here. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. 
Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was a Christ. So it wasn't, it wasn't time for them to get excited and go out and tell everybody. There is still some work to be done before that is uh, relayed to everybody else. <clears throat> so there's a lot going on in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So I kind of want to focus in here. I need you guys to stick with me. Okay, you guys ready? <clears throat> I know it's early. Maybe get another cup of coffee. We should maybe have some delivered to you uh, if you need it. But Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus saying, I, Jesus, will build my Jesus church. The question is, upon what will he build his church? In other words, who gets to be part of this of his church or who gets to get to go to heaven? Again, the Bible talks about salvation in a bunch of different ways. <clears throat> is it Peter whom the Catholic Church says was the first pope, and therefore the Catholic Church, its popes, determine who gets into heaven? Or is it Jesus Christ and confessing him as God and deliverer from our sins that gets us into heaven? That's kind of the big debate, if you want to put it that way, in Christianity and all the, all the different groups that call themselves Christians. So, again, Jesus says... I will build my church. It's not Peter who builds his church. It's not you who build his church. It's not me who build his church. He builds his church. Now, the church, what is that? Well, ecclesia, it's the called out ones. So Jesus Christ, as he's building his church, he's working in our world. We've got a bunch of people who are on their way to hell, and he's going in there, and he's taking them out of the world. Which we'll find out more about that in coming verses. But he's going in and he's taking people out of the world and making them part of his church, his called out one. That's what the word church means. Adopted into his family, part of his family, saved. Again, a church says a lot of different things. But we are brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ that he initiates... And our responsibility is to come to know Him better, grow spiritually, to represent Him well to others, live for Him, and draw them to Christ. Share the gospel with them. That's our purpose. We serve Him in the building of the church. Because secondly, it's His church. So we don't tell God how the church should be run. We don't tell God who it is that's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, or Christ. We don't tell Christ how it should be organized. We don't, tell, we don't tell Christ anything. It's His church. He directs us. How does He direct us? Today He directs us through His Holy Spirit and His Holy Word, God, God's Word, the Bible. Again, these are key things as we're going to move forward here. It's not based on what men have written down and then declared that it is on the same authority level as the Bible, which is what the Catholic Church does, the Mormon Church does, other um, um, what's the word I just lost cults would do that type of thing. People start saying, "Hey, God gave us more information." No, God gave us God's word through the apostles and other writers of the New Testament. And then the other thing I said, it's on the offensive. So hell and and Satan, they're on the defensive. And I just want to say this about this. 
We give Satan too much time. He lives rent-free in our minds, is another way to put it. We are more concerned about what Satan is doing than what Jesus Christ. The more times I hear people say, well, Satan is discouraging me. Satan's throwing this out here, and Satan's doing this. Satan is not on the offensive. Satan is on the defensive. Because Jesus is on the offense. And he's on the offense through you and me. So we need to be on the offense. We don't give a rip about what Satan thinks or does or what he may or may not do. Because he can't stop it. He can't stop God working in and through us and making an impact for Christ. So let's stop worrying so much about Satan and thinking about Satan and the struggle of Satan. It's Jesus Christ on the offensive through you and me. Let's, let's focus on Jesus and our, our mission in his victory. So the question is, what is Jesus building it upon? What is the foundation? How does someone get in? So let's go back to verse 18. And it says this. So it's built on a confession of faith that Jesus is God. That's what Peter says. That Jesus is God and deliver. I'm kind of just summarizing it. He says, you are the Christ and... Son of the living God. But he's basically saying Jesus is God and the Deliverer. But it says this in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, the masculine form, and it means stone. And upon this rock, Petra, which is a feminine form, this is all important information, okay? (laughs) means foundational bedrock or foundational stone. I will build my church. So people would go, okay, see, there it is. It's on Peter, the stone that Jesus is going to build his church. No, it says here that it's built on a person's confession that Jesus is God. He is the deliverer. You might be saying, well, wait a second. It's just said there, Peter is a rock. No, it said Peter is a stone. Petra means rock. So, first of all, before I start cracking down on this, so Jesus, we got to get the context here. Jesus' question to the disciples was, who do you say that I am? So his focus is on the confession. And and Peter, speaking for the disciples, we know now Judas probably wasn't really involved in this in the sense of agreeing with it in his heart. Peter says that you are God and you are the one who will deliver us from our sin. So again, Jesus asked the disciples. Peter said who who he was. Then Jesus says, it's upon this rock, Peter, stone, upon this rock I will build my church. So Petros, masculine form, means stone, doesn't mean rock, means stone, smaller, Petros, it's a feminine form, it means massive rock, foundational, bedrock type of... So like in Norway, I've told this before. So in Norway, you have the fjords, right? And you have all those islands. Those islands are mountains. The part of the island that's underneath the, the, uh, the water is called a bjerg. I'm a bjerga, just so you know. <laughs> that means a foundational rock, okay? It's the bedrock, In Greek, so here's where we get technical. In Greek, a feminine 
uh, form of a word cannot modify a masculine form of the word. It can't describe the masculine. In other words, when Jesus said, this massive rock is, upon, is what I'm going to build my church upon, he can't be saying it's Peter, because Peter is in the masculine. So just in the grammar alone, he's saying that, no, the rock is not Peter, it's something else. And we know the only thing else he's talking about in the context and the focus is this confession that Jesus is God and deliverer. Another thing with that is if Peter, Peter himself didn't see himself as the foundational rock. Look what he says in his own writing in Second Peter or First Peter. He says, Coming to him, or Jesus, as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, which, by the way, all Christians are priests. We don't need a priest before, between us and God anymore. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest, and we are all little priests. We are serving in His spiritual house, His church, His family. So we don't need earthly priests anymore because Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews Men, going through that on Thursday night, man, you're going to want to be there because it talks a lot about that. Anyways, what's our job? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. In other words, doing life God's way in all areas of our lives. That's a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, talking about the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, And he who believes in him, Jesus, will not be disappointed. This is Peter talking about who is the church built on. It's built on Jesus, the cornerstone. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, Jesus, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumbled because they are disobedient to word. They don't believe that Jesus is God and deliverer. That's how somebody does not get to go to heaven. And to this doom, they were also appointed. And so Peter himself didn't believe that he was this foundational stone, this stone upon which the church was built. Now, no doubt, Peter was a big part of the starting of the church, right? I mean, we know that. Acts tells us that. He was a very big part of that, leading the church. But look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking about the Jews, Jews who have become Christians, and the Gentiles who have become Christians being brought into one spiritual building, spiritual home, spiritual family. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. All Christians are saints. We're all saints. There's not a special level of sainthood with Christ because He is the ultimate and we are all saints because of Christ, those of us who have placed our faith in Him, and are of God's household. So we've been adopted into His family. Having been built, look at this, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, not just Peter, and not even just the apostles, but these prophets, you know, people who are proclaiming truth in the early church, like Apollos, for instance, or Timothy. Christ Jesus himself, not Jesus and Peter, not Jesus and a pope, not Jesus and Herald, but Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's why this is not God's house. This is a building in which God's house worships. We are God's house. God draws us together. One more point on that is this. There wasn't and still isn't today a centralized government or centralized leadership for the Christian church unless you're talking about heaven because that's Jesus Christ. He is our central leader. We all look to Jesus for, our, for leadership as to how we're supposed to do church based off what he's given us in scripture. We have local leadership called elders and so we have that kind of leadership but it's not a localized thing where somebody in another part of the world is telling us what we're supposed to do. We listen to what Christ has to say through his word. But if there was one, if there was a centralized government or centralized leadership, Acts 15 would show us that it would have been James in Jerusalem, not Peter in Rome. Because in Acts 15, they called the first ever church council. They were concerned about Paul. And not really sure that he should have gone to the Gentiles or not with the gospel. And so they called him. There was a big debate. And so they called him to Jerusalem. James led that. So if there was going to be a central, and there isn't, but if there was, Acts 15, it would have been James in Jerusalem. Which also makes sense, right? That's where the church started. Why would it be in Rome? It would have been in Jerusalem because that's where the church started. But besides the fact, that's not the case. All right. Still with me? Liars. You're all ready to fall asleep. You're all like, oh my word. All right, hang in there. So Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Our faith in him gives us entry into heaven, not Peter or a pope, not Harold. Which brings us to the keys of the kingdom that Jesus gives Peter. And the Catholic Church would say, see, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. He, he's the one who says who can come in. And who's not going to come in? And therefore, Peter, as our first pope, which is not in the Bible at all, but is in their extra writings that they have, then therefore the pope and the church is the one who says who can go into heaven who can't. But, is that what Jesus is saying? Or is Jesus saying, Peter, the disciples, and us can say who's going into heaven or not, based on what God has told us in the Scripture. Another way of putting it is that Peter saying, hey, Clark's good to go, God, and God goes, gotcha. We'll make sure that that's taken care of up here in heaven. Peter telling heaven what to do, or going to Clark saying, no, Clark, he's not going to be able to get to heaven. God going, okay, we'll make sure that his name doesn't get written in the book of life. Thank you, Peter. Or is it God saying, hey, Christians, here's what a Christian is. Here's how a person becomes a Christian. And based on that, you can tell the person whether they're saved or not. So that's the big question here. You can probably guess where we're going with this. So let's look at verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, some of the um, versions that you guys have, 
in your Bible has this wrong. Okay? Go to the next slide. So, first of all, keys. What are keys? Keys lock and unlock things, right? And so he's given the keys of the kingdom. He's saying, Peter, I'm going to give you the opportunity to unlock the kingdom of heaven to people or to unlock it to people. Now, how is he going to do that? Again, Peter is representing the disciples. The disciples became the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, Peter took the lead as well as John, later Paul, in sharing the gospel, the confession that Jesus is God and the deliverer of our sins, they unlocked the kingdom of heaven to people. Acts chapter 2. And we still have that opportunity in that mission today to unlock the kingdom of heaven to people by telling them who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. The whole idea of bind and bound and loosed and loosed, that is a person who is uh, who's bound means it's a person is saved, and a person who's loose is a person who is not saved. And again, the question is, who's telling who that a person is saved or not? Is it Peter telling heaven who it is, or is it heaven telling us, and us being able to confirm that? The key is in the verb, shall have been. Okay? If it was, um, will be bound or loosed, that's Peter telling God who it is that should get into heaven or not, if it's will be. Some versions say shall be. Uh, ESV, for instance. I was reading it yesterday, because that's what I read at home. It says shall be. If if it does that, you'll get the idea that Peter is the one telling heaven who should get into heaven or not. But the verb is shall have been. Now, Hang with me. So in the Greek, this phrase in the Greek, you ready for this? Is a paraphrastic future perfect passive. Yes! I'm coming to Jesus on that one, you know. Woo! It's a paraphrastic future perfect passive, which means it has already been bound or loosed. So in other words, God, heaven, God tells Peter and us what is bound or loose. In other words, who is saved or not saved? The same wording, I'm not going to go there, the same wording is in Matthew 18, 18, in the, in the issue of um, uh, church discipline. If someone has a problem with you, you, and so you go to them, you try to write, write the wrong, they don't want to do it, you say, hey, take two or three witnesses with you who can make sure you guys are having a good conversation. And those two or three witnesses, whatever they bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever they bind or loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In other words, heaven gives us the direction for how we should be disciplining and confronting people who have sinned, and we're to follow that. Peter's not involved in that one. Two or three believers, just generic, everyday believers like you and me. So how did the first century apostles and Christians know what God had to say about salvation? His Holy Spirit, speaking through the apostles and other writers of Scripture, right? And the Old Testament Scriptures. How do we today know from the Scriptures that have been given to us, Old Testament and New Testament? So let me tie this together. 
Sorry for how much, how wordy it is. But we can declare, so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying it to Peter, but it's for the disciples, because Peter is the spokesman. And then through the disciples, it happens to give to us, because we're all priests in that sense. We're all part of God's family. We can declare that someone is saved or not based on the authority of the Bible and what God says saves a person. If someone says, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, sins, we can say, then according to the Bible or God, you are saved, bound in the eyes of heaven and God, because God said that's what saves a person. If a person says, I've never accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, we can say, then according to the Bible or God, you are not saved. You are loosed in the eyes of heaven or in the eyes of God. Okay? Again, highly technical. I get it. Spend some time thinking through it. Get a headache. And then call me this week if you want to have more discussion and understanding of that. Okay? Because I've already had my headache this week. And so I'm moving on. All right. So to sum up, Jesus is building his church, which is built on a confession of faith that Jesus is God and deliverer from sin by the authority of God's word, the Bible. Why does this matter? (laughs) When it's all said and done, why does it matter? Well, first, because Jesus is giving up his life to make this happen. Anyone who's willing to give up their life for you, you should maybe pay attention, especially when it's God who's done this. It's God who has become man and is going to give up his life. So look what he says in verse 21. What Matthew tells us in verse 21. Uh, got it. Thank you. From that time, Jesus began, so he has this big conversation. He's sure that the disciples know that he is God and he is deliverer. You got to have that nailed down, right? They're going to be the ones who start the church. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. This is great news for the disciples, isn't it? Hey, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to get killed. And be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, of course, they don't hear that part. They just hear the, the death part. And I'm going to kind of fly through this. So, why does this matter? Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem to suffer and be killed and raised the third day? Why is this a must? Because he's the one who is providing the way to God. That's why this matters. We've we got to know how we're going to get to heaven. How are we going to make sure we're not going to hell? Well, he's telling us, and he's the one who's going to make it happen. So he must, because it's the whole reason he came. If he never went and did this, his mission would have been, well, it wouldn't have, been, it wouldn't have happened. He would have failed. This is why he came. This is why he lived these, the three years, three and a half years or so. It was a must. God's punishment, his wrath, was going to be placed on Jesus, God the Son, who is also 100% man. See, Jesus isn't just calling people out of this world to follow him. He's calling them out of this world into a personal relationship with him and with God. And that has to be something that God does. God is the one who revealed it to Peter. Who, well, then salvation itself has to be something that God does. He's giving his life to make this possible. Jesus isn't just Israel's Messiah that's going to bring peace to Israel one day, which is going to happen in the millennial kingdom. He's a deliverer for all people. 
He's done the work. He's the one who has sacrificed himself, his perfect life for us. Took God's wrath upon himself. And he's the one who delivers us from sin's consequence in hell and sin's power in our life throughout each day. The other reason why it matters is that Jesus is building, uh, building his church, that he's, he's provided us the only way to live life. This goes really well with what we just got done talking about the last two weeks. Look what Matthew tells us next. A lot of times we throw this verse with the verse I just got done reading. But I want us to understand, there's no, when Jesus was talking, there was no subtitles. This rolled right at, right at boom, boom, boom. So right after Jesus telling him, hey, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, Peter says, Peter took him aside and began, he didn't get the finish, he began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interest. You're thinking like a human being. You're setting man's interests what you want to have happen. Then, because of what Peter said, Jesus said to his disciples, you know, so he's like, get behind me, Satan. Guys, listen. Because of what Peter just said, if anyone wishes to come after me, to be in a relationship with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. He's talking to people who are professing to be Christians. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? There's no profit. There's only eternal loss there. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing you can exchange for your soul. For the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is going to come in glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his, his deeds. So Jesus is now looking past his first coming to his second coming. And he says, hey, listen, one of these days we're going to pay for everything we've done, good or bad. But let's break this down real quick. So Jesus tells Peter what's going to happen. Peter says, no, I am not going to let that happen. And then Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. So what's going on there? Now, he's not saying that Peter is possessed by Satan. He's not saying Peter is Satan. He's saying, Peter, you're thinking like Satan. You ready for this? Thank you. Peter voiced his opinion. I was sitting there reading this this week, and I'm like, oh my word. How scary is that? Jesus just said, Peter, way to go, man. Only God could reveal to you who I am. And then the, the next words out of Peter's mouth are, no, 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 you can't go to hell, or heaven, or can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go do what you said you're going to do. He stopped speaking for God, or speaking what God gave him, and he gives him his opinion, what Peter thinks should happen. And God says, or Jesus says to him, exactly what he told Satan back in Matthew chapter 4. Go. In this case, get behind me. Same word. Peter was setting his mind on man's interest. Peter was looking at the situation as a human being, as a sinful human being. 
We've got to catch this, because the rest of this makes a lot more sense if we do. It was his opinion, which was wrong, which was not what God wanted, which was not what Jesus Christ was going to do. Have you ever told Jesus that, hey, listen, I get what you said about salvation, but I don't, I don't agree with that. Or have you ever told God, yeah, I see what your word says about how I'm supposed to live life, but mm, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. Jesus could easily say to you and me when we do that, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you are hindering what God's trying to do. Whether it's for salvation or as a Christian, growing you to become more like Christ. When we voice our opinion to God, we are hindering what he wants, what he wants to do in our lives, which is what he says as he goes on here. He says, followers are to die to their thoughts and opinions. He says, those who want to come after me, that is a, um, a phrase of personal relationship. Just look throughout the gospel. Jesus talks about coming after him. It's always related to a personal relationship with him, not religion. Human relationships, we can agree to disagree, not with God. We agree with God no matter what we feel, no matter what we think, because he knows better than we do. He says, you need to deny yourself. It's an aorist uh, imperative. It means it's a definite, decisive choice to not do life my way. For you to not do it. When you place your faith in Christ, you might not have known this, and this is good for you to know, but when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you were saying, I am making a definite choice today, at this point of salvation, to not do life my way anymore. To find out how God wants me to live. Then he says, take up your cross. This is another aorist imperative. And when the disciples heard this, there was, uh, there's an estimate that I think 30,000 Jewish people were, were crucified in Jesus' lifetime. He lived for three and a half years or whatever it was. Three, 33 years, whatever. 30,000 Jewish people were put on, crucif- on, on a crucifix, on a cross, while he lived on this earth. So when the disciples heard him say, take up your cross, they didn't think, oh, we're going to have to suffer for Jesus. No, they thought, I have to die for Jesus. Now, they eventually did, literally. But those who say are going to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you make a, a decisive choice at that point of salvation, say, I am dying to myself. No more of me in this, all of Christ in this. And then we are to follow him. That's a present active it means to accompany someone who takes the lead, or you're going along with somebody in a sense of fellowship. This is a present active, meaning day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what we think, or no matter what we feel, we do what Jesus Christ is leading us to do. And then he calls his followers to lose their lives for him. The person who wants to save his life will lose it. A, person, a, a Christian who says, a non-Christian who says, hey, thanks, I appreciate it, but I, I got this. They're going to lose their life for eternity if they don't turn to Christ. A Christian who says, okay, God, I hear what you say, but I, I, I don't want to do that. I, I want some part of my life left. I want, to, I want to make some decisions for my life. You're going to eventually destroy your life. The decisions that are happening will eventually destroy your life. And a professing Christian, and I use that term for a purpose, a person who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they just live in a lifestyle where they just don't want to do what God's Word says, this is a warning. This is Jesus saying, you're going to destroy your life. 
when you come when I come back, actually when you die, you're going to find out that you actually were not a Christian. Because followers of Jesus Christ follow Jesus Christ. They may not be perfect. We all have areas that we struggle. We're all supposed to be moving towards that though. Not fighting Christ time in and time out. So those who lose their life will save it. So a, a person who says, I don't want any of me in this. I don't want my opinions. I don't want my thoughts. I'm going to do what God calls me to do. No matter what's going to happen, I'm going to receive the life that God wants me to have. Jesus calls it an abundant life in John 10. It's everything that God wants us to have. His peace, His confidence, His strength, His impact in the lives of other people, people coming to Christ. Gaining everything the world has to offer for 80 or 90 years, great. But if you spend eternity in hell because of it, not worth it. It's a lot better to not have anything in this earth because you're going to spend eternity. By the way, this is not the road to salvation. This is the road of salvation. This is what a Christian, a person who's placed their faith in Christ, how Jesus said we're supposed to live. If you're sitting here this morning going, "Mm, really, Harold? No, not really, Harold. You have to say, really, God? Talk with him. Because he's saying it. Jesus closes by saying that at the end of time, he's coming back. And we're all going to be judged by what we've done. Christians will be judged. It's not a punishment because Jesus has taken our punishment. It's going to be a judgment of rewards. And rewards in the sense that the things that we've done for Christ, over and above heaven, he's going to reward us. You can read the Bible as to what that might be or might not be. Those who reject Jesus Christ, then in that situation, they're going to have a judgment of punishment for not receiving the salvation that Jesus Christ secured for them. He's offering it to everybody. And those who reject that then will reject him for eternity if they don't get right with him. So as a, yeah, the band's going to kill me, but I'm not going to have him come up this morning. Shh, don't tell them. Let me give you a couple of takeaways. First of all, if you're a person here this morning that you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, let me ask you the question that Jesus asked. Who do you say Jesus is? Because you have to understand, Jesus says that he's God and that he's the deliverer of your sins. And if you want to have that relationship with him, if you want to know for sure that when you die from this earth that you're going to go to heaven one day, and while here on earth you're going to be in relationship with him and he's going to be encouraging you, strengthening you, helping you through the difficulties that you go through, then it's simply ABCs, as we always say around here. It's admit that you're a sinner, you're separated from God, and you need God's forgiveness. This is just you having a conversation with God. And then believe what God says, that Jesus took your punishment on the cross. And then confess that to God. Confess that you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. And this morning, if, if, again, if you have done this in the past, you don't have to do this again. Once you're adopted into God's family, you're adopted into God's family forever. But if you've never done it or you're not sure that you've done it, then just have that conversation with God right here, right now, your heart to his heart. 
And if you do, I would love to hear about it. Catch me out in the lobby or write it down on a, on a Connect card, and I'll make sure that I get a hold of you and talk to you more about it. And secondly, Christians, where are you expressing your opinion to Jesus and thereby hindering his work in your life? We all, we all have an area or two where we're saying, you know, I, I get what you want, God, but you know, I'm going to keep doing it my way. Again, we're hindering the work of Christ in our life. We're not going to have that intimate relationship with him that we want and that he wants to have with us. And there is the potential that if you continue to say no to that, that you're actually not truly saved. Because a follower of Jesus Christ, I get it that we struggle, but there's always his heart and his desire to do it God's way and to work through and maybe fall and fail, but keep getting back, fail, get back, and we keep doing what God calls us to do. It's part of that growth process. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to look into these words that Jesus tells us. And again, Lord, some of it's technical, and some of it's almost too detailed maybe, um, but it's important to understand and to know and grasp as we have conversations with people who profess to know Christ and uh, maybe don't have it correct according to what your word says. And so give us wisdom to sermon as we talk with our friends and family who uh, may be in that situation. Give us um, the motivation to want to study it out so we have it clear in our heads and be able to have that conversation. Lord, is there anybody here this morning who doesn't know you? I pray your Holy Spirit would just convict them and, and call them to you so they can place their faith in you and experience the forgiveness of their sins, the release of that guilt and that weight on their life, and then they can pursue you and allow you to walk with them through this world and then into heaven one day. And for us, Lord, who have placed our faith in Christ, this Continue to do your good work in us, showing us where we need to toss our opinion, deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow you faithfully. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being-